Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources and veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, it's Mike Powell, and welcome to another episode of Hire the Smile, the podcast from Oculus Insights on all things related to human resources in the veterinary profession. As always, I'm joined by the fantastic Katie Arline. Hey, Katie. Hey, Mike. What is new and exciting as we get our first snowfall in Ontario? I don't know about exciting, but definitely new. Yeah, it's gorgeous. But then tomorrow is going to rain. It'll be ugly and gross. And that's winter. Mm-hmm. So we have a very special guest today, an old friend, somebody I met about 11 years ago, uh, Dr. Itika Elta from the Veterinary College at the University of Utrecht in the Netherlands. Welcome, Itika. Hi, Mike. Hi, Katie. Thank you for inviting me. So we're going to get into why we invited you, and it's going to be very obvious in a, in a very short time. <laughs> but tell us about you and your background. I know where you are and what you're doing, but not everybody does. And you've got a fascinating story from becoming a veterinarian to where you are on the faculty of the University of Utrecht. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, things happen sometimes. And then suddenly you end up at a university. Well, I will start when I graduated, uh, when I left the university. I got a, a job, an internship in a large sport horse clinic just practicing medicine. I'm an equine veterinarian. When I started my um, my journey to become a veterinarian, my aim was always to become an equine vet. That was my primary goal. And I was lucky enough when I graduated that I had a choice in where I could uh, practice. And I chose this clinic in the Netherlands, a large clinic. I did an internship there. And then somehow they liked me enough to keep me. <laughs> But uh, unfortunately, my husband at that time, or uh, we're still together, but um, he did not want to move to the other part of the country for job restrictions. And we sort of were thinking, hey, what shall we do? And then I decided to move back to the western part of the country. I ended up with a, a colleague friend of mine, and we were talking at a show somewhere. And he was just asking, hey, how are you doing? And I said, well, fine. Okay, how do you like your job? I said, it's still fine. But uh, you know, my husband, he doesn't really want to move. So we're we're kind of thinking about, well, I'm trans- changing jobs. And he said, oh, well, that's no problem. You can come and work for me. So that was done then and there. Um, so I worked with him for uh, quite a few years. And then at one point, I thought about my career and what I wanted to do. And then some, <laughs> somehow this job at the university pops up. And it was actually on a Saturday night that the job uh, this job opening, that's still my current job, popped up. And I said to my husband, I said, you know what, shall I just write a letter and see what they uh, think of it? He said, hey, why not? And two weeks later, I was uh, working for a university. Hmm. 
So that's the long story short. <laughs> and so what's your role at the university? I have the best job in the world. I think I have the most intriguing job. I can still practice. I do the daily management of our ambulatory clinic. So for over half of my time, I still practice medicine. I can still be an equine vet. So we take the students out on the road and we do house calls. And uh, for the other part of my job, I uh, do research into the human side of equine practice, as we call it. So we look at the customer side and the employee side of the, the work we do, our daily jobs. And uh, one of the best things about my job is also I get to teach and I get to prepare our young students and our uh, colleagues to be uh, the tips and tricks of our job Excellent. and our profession. The main reason why we invited you to join the podcast is a few years back, you started a project on employee engagement. And obviously, longtime listeners of this podcast or people that know Oculus will know that employee engagement has really been our rallying cry. I mean, that's really what we think is so important. We've developed our employee engagement survey. We've done about, oh, I say close to 50, all the way from the New Zealand to Dubai to the EU to all across North America, all sorts of practices. So to us, it really has helped us identify practices that are on the, you know, have the potential to have, you know, great growth or those that are struggling because they don't have engaged employees. So what triggered your interest in employee engagement? I've always been interested in the human side of of our profession. And that started ever since I was a little girl. My father was an internal medicine specialist and he was adored by his patients. And I always asked him, hey, how, how does that work? And <laughs> what do you do different from other people? And he always said, well, you just give them a little bit of attention and you write down somewhere that their daughter's getting married or that they're going to be a grandfather. Or And then you ask when the next time they come to you, you ask how that was. So I always thought that was intriguing. And when I started getting into the whole relationship thing between physicians or veterinarians and their clients, and also talking to you and talking to Job and talking to other people, then you find out that if you want clients that are satisfied or that like your, that appreciate your work, people also have to appreciate you as an employee. When you as an employee are very unhappy, it's very difficult to make your clients happy because that will always go at your own expense. Then you will have to give so much and you will never keep that up. And when we see rates of, of burnout growing, I always said, hey, how engaged are we in our jobs and what's important to veterinarians or an equine veterinarians in this research specifically um, to keep them engaged or to have them engaged? So what kind of um, research have you done on employee engagement? Sort of have you, you taken that interest in expanded it during your time at the university? Yeah, we took an existing uh, survey from the business field on employee engagement, an already proven survey on employee engagement. And we, well, basically we threw that out into the equine veterinary world. And the fun thing is we got responses from, I think, 33 countries. Wow. <laughs> so, that, yeah. Well, some even like Saudi Arabia and um, it's not for for the data analysis. It's um, it's not perfect, but it's nice to see that people from all over the world responded. So we had about 520 responses from people working in the equine veterinary profession from all over the world. 
Is there anything in particular? Uh, I mean, obviously going through all of the results would take multiple podcasts, uh, but is there anything or a couple of things that stuck out to you that you maybe didn't expect or that were surprising from the, the data that you were able to collect? No, actually not. Actually, that we are pretty normal people. <laughs> and it, well, we always think that we're different, but I don't think we're that different from other uh, professions in the way that what is important to us regarding employee engagement. I think what struck the most is, and we know this from other fields and other work fields, is the relationship with management. Mm. I think the relationship that you have with your supervisor is very important. And I think we can all relate to that even from our own personal experiences. People don't leave bad companies. They leave bad leaders or bad managers. Yeah, that's one area that, I mean, we've seen that in our own surveys is that communication between management and and employees is often troubled. How management uh, decides on compensation and employee reviews and what we find interesting, and and it's almost becoming you know, you do enough of them, you start to see trends is when a practice owner says, oh, the management part will be fine. I know it's going to be good. Usually it isn't. And it's, but it's amazing because it really reveals a bias that we have as practice owners and managers is that we often think we do a better job than we do. Uh, It's the very rare practice owner who is starts the process of the survey going, yeah, I know I am myself or my colleagues, my other partners, we're going to really, we're, we suck in this area. Most of them are like, yeah, we're going to be good. And, and, and it's so hard uh, when we get the results and they see the scores and they're not as good as they thought they would be. It's, it's one of the better things it's, you know, as a manager, I remember getting the first results when we did it on my own practice. I mean, I, that, it was like a kick in the stomach. It was hard to see the scores about management and leadership as low as they were. But at the same time, you're like, this is awesome because now I know what I need to do to get better. And then the subsequent scores either say, yes, you are doing better or you're not. So I all say it's like the worst day of your life, but yet it becomes the best day of your life for opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. If you can see it as the best day of your life, it, it, it's going to help you do better. I think, <laughs> first of all, I think you have a self-assessment bias always. You always think you do better than you actually do. Oh, I also think, and I don't know if this comes from your surveys, is that the people who think that they suck actually do really well in there, <laughs> what the employees think of them. I think if you uh, can look at yourself and think, hey, I still do a lot of things wrong or or I don't do them as I would like to, I think probably your employees will. They pick up on that. They pick up on that. And from my own personal experience, it is just difficult managing people. You think you do them a favor (laughs) or you do something for them. And then it turns out that you've done something that they didn't want you to do, ask you to do, and that they actually rather have something else. Yes. Yeah. I see that's, you look at Facebook groups of, of practice owners or any kind of message boards, and that's a common refrain is that, oh, my staff doesn't appreciate me. It's a weird mindset because a lot of us as owners think that, oh, yeah, I mean, staff should be appreciative of all the efforts. And, but I think a lot of it is what we do is just the basic expectations. I know one of the key areas that we have, what we see and, and what we, we lecture on, Katie and I, is about having a culture of appreciation, in which comes from the top and from leadership. And so if we're not always appreciating our staff and demonstrating to that to them, 
it's hard for them to then demonstrate appreciation towards you as the leaders. If you haven't yeah. created that habit, yeah. I haven't proven that, but I just, it kind of makes sense. No, I think you're right. And I think you have, you have to change your behavior. If you're not doing it right now, you have to change your behavior. And that's truly difficult. It's difficult changing your, your business culture because you've probably been doing it like this for 15, 20, 25, 30 years. And then, wow, then it's no good. Yeah. <laughs> and how then? Because it's, it's going to take a lot of effort to change. For sure. And, and then especially then you add on a, a global pandemic that affects us all in different ways. That's, that's even harder. Yeah, definitely. And I think we're one of the groups that's actually been working a lot harder. And we've seen our business grow during this pandemic and asking us things that we couldn't have imagined before. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest human resource challenges that, you know, the Netherlands and other countries that you're familiar with going on in Europe? I mean, we're based in Canada prior to the pandemic. I spent a lot of time in Europe, in the EU. So now everything I hear about is in the newspapers. And so share with us, so for those of us who are in North America or other parts of the EU and other parts of the world, what's, what's going on in, with the vet profession and the HR challenges in the EU? I think the biggest challenge at this moment is the, the shortage in veterinarians yeah. or the perceived or actual shortage. I just spoke to someone last week who did a little bit um, of research in this field. And then it's when we look at the Netherlands, it's difficult to see do we actually have a shortage or do we just have a shortage of working hours? Do we have enough vets, but but are they working the hours that they could or or that we would expect them? No, well we figured out that it balances out with at least for the Netherlands with uh, how many hours the average working force in the Netherlands is working. So, but I think the, so the Fed shortage and the on-call coverage. And I think that's, that's highly correlated of course. Is, uh, so question, because and I don't know the answer to this at all is are, are you seeing, you know, what you know in the Netherlands are veterinarians and veterinary staff leaving the profession or because that's what we're seeing in North America. I mean, recent research from the AVMA is showing that close to 20% of veterinarians have left their positions in the last year, over 25% of vet assistants or technicians rather. So are you seeing something like that in Europe? Not cor uh, correlated to the pandemic. We already saw that happening. Right. That the retention, that it is difficult. We see a lot of people leaving the profession within the first five years. Yeah, I don't think I don't have I have no numbers, so I don't know how about the pandemic and the influence of the pandemic. But we already saw that it's that a lot of people leave uh, within the first five years after graduation. Now, is that equine or all species? All species. All species. Wow. Yeah, that's for the Netherlands. I don't know how that is uh, in other countries. Well, we know in, in North America, 50 percent of equine vets leave within first five years. But didn't think the number was that high for companion animal or food animal. So what are the factors in, in, in the Netherlands that are driving that attrition? I think for one, it's a career perspective or people having the wrong idea about being a veterinarian. So people go into the profession and the profession turns out to be something different than what they expected it to be. So they go in and they suddenly get confronted with a very, well, with, with difficult owners, with people they need to work with, with long days, 
uh, well, the whole well things that we are uh, confronted with as veterinarians. And the idea is that they that they weren't prepared enough, or well, didn't know what they were getting into. Is is maybe a, a little of a negative view, but I think that is basically what it is. That the veterinary profession is more difficult mm-hmm. than they thought it would be when they graduated. So I think that's an interesting point and a little bit of a segue into sort of where we were thinking of going next with the conversation, which is you're in a unique position, obviously, being at the university and being able to influence vet students, you know, right from the beginning of their education. And, you know, knowing you have uh, the business and the, the HR focus, uh, is there anything that's happening there at the university or that you're doing to help prepare vet students for the realities of the workplace? Yes, yes. We try to really focus now on on preparing these young people for the workforce and for the the business they're getting into. I already started, when I started working for the university, I started doing this at a very small scale for the equine students. So uh, telling them about the profession, about the the horse business, what they were getting into, uh, how to communicate with these owners. What do these owners expect? Uh, we We did a whole day of communication training. And what we are going to do now within a small year in September uh, 2022, we will start with a a new master, a veterinary master. And we will start this master with a block of five weeks. And in these five weeks, they get training in communication, what to expect from your work context, from from everything that, that goes on. Who are your stakeholders? How does it feel to be a client? How do you communicate with clients? How do you communicate with, with each other, with your coworkers, with, with your supervisors? So we spent five weeks just purely focusing on getting ready for practice with the non-clinical skills. Mm-hmm. And then we also sent them, we have seven times five weeks. So we have seven blocks and they all have to go out into practice for five weeks as well. Since there are still people getting into the veterinary or into veterinary medicine or in the in the studies that have never been into a vet practice, into a vet practice, we all want them to go there five weeks at the start of their masters. So just to clarify, I'm just thinking of people in North America. When you're saying masters of veterinary science, that's the DVM program or the equivalence yeah. of what we would do in North America for a vet yeah. school diploma. Yeah, we, okay. Yeah, we have a three-year bachelor. Mm-hmm. We have a three-year bachelor and a three-year master. Okay. All right. Yeah. And All the right. master it will have to DVM. So for what you're describing, it's it's interesting. So it sounds like we have a vet shortage that's really caused by a vet retention problem on one hand, but also I think the veterinary student selection that we do on the other hand. And so, it, I mean, it, like most complicated things, there's not a simple answer. How do you see the universities, and I'm just in, in general, and this could be global, do they need to change how they're selecting students to accept ones that, you know, it's, it's the reality is not going to be such a shock? I think in the ideal world, yes. Mm-hmm. I think you should try to select on maybe the more personal skills and character. That's actually what you're talking about, because now we select on people let me tell you just in short in how we do our selection because we mm-hmm. only have a very we have limited capacity so we have about a thousand people that want to get into the veterinary school and we only have 225 and we will have 240 positions for the first year for the bachelors right the way the selection is now primarily is 
is based on grades. So the whole idea is it's that when you select them, you select on the possibility that within three years they receive their bachelor's degree. And yes, they do have to do an additional motivation and they do have to do an assessment. So it's not just focused on, on the grades, but they're very important. And as we all know, well, the veterinary profession also asks a lot of different things. But selecting on those criteria is very difficult. How do you select people in their first year on those uh, capacities? And so then you start talking about selecting before the master. And I think that would be great if we could start doing that. That can be very difficult to yeah. bring into practice. So how are you going to do that? That's Yeah, I would imagine if any of that schools anywhere, there's a lot of institutional inertia. It's hard to move you know, almost centuries of tradition in some cases of how they're doing things. Yeah, and how to do it in a way that does justice to everyone. Yeah, for sure. All stakeholders. So a question as we've been talking and sort of niggling in the back of my mind, and that is you're instituting a new program, which sounds very exciting to help prepare students for practice. What can vet practice owners do? Because it seems like there's a real partnership. It has to be a partnership between the vet schools, the veterinarians, the new veterinarians, and the established practices. How can they better onboard new veterinarians so we don't see that 50% rate of, of leaving the profession after five years? Because that's, Mike, if you just think of the resources that go into training it, and then five years later, half of them have dropped out, like, yep. that's a horrible ratio, and it's everywhere. So Yeah. And I think it's just guide them and help them, help these young professionals because they are really trained. I can vouch for all my students that all they are highly trained professionals. Mm -hmm. But when they leave school, they're still insecure. You still have to, well, put into practice what you've been taught. And it's it's going to be scary in the first year sometimes. And they just need guidance and they need support and they need to be able to call you every now and then. <laughs> for some help. So don't just throw them out there and just leave them hanging. Listen to them, listen to their needs. And so what would good or you know high level employee engagement, how would that change something in a practice? You mean if they have high employee engagement or? I guess there's two scenarios. What could somebody do if they have poor employee engagement to keep the vets that they have on longer? Or you know, what's the advantage of, of high employee engagement to keeping these new vets? I think if they're happy, they have no reason to leave. I think if they're happy and you compensate them reasonably, you don't even have to be the best payer in the world. But if people go to work every day with a smile on their face, they will be more than happy to stay with you. Why would yeah. they go anywhere else? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that we have found too. And that's why I wanted to ask you is that these practices that really focus on having engaged staff, it makes it's a better work environment. It's more supportive. You know, it's it's hard enough dealing with clients and their pets than if you have a work environment that drains the rest of the energy from you. Yeah. That yeah. makes it hard. So instead of your work environment nourishing you or giving you energy, most a lot of the times, not most, a lot of the times it drains you even further. And so yeah. if we're struggling as a new vet, then the vet practices have to be even better to help them stay on board. Yeah. And it's it's always when you hire a young veterinarian. It's an investment. So it's going to be work. It's not like you give them the car keys and they will fix things. So I think if you hire one, it's, it's see it as an investment. 
and free time in your in your calendar or in your daily schedule just to ask them how they're doing and if you can help them with anything just by asking they won't need you as much <laughs> I, I think you're right if you, if you generally are concerned and i guess it's sort of like you're cultivating and so it, you know, things don't happen overnight as a parent it takes decades to have a fully formed independent individual and to jump into such a new profession that is has so many challenges to, to expect them to get it overnight. It's terrifying. So, yeah, yeah, and you have they think that of course they're they're scared of making all these mistakes because they put the the, the bar so high for themselves. These young vets and they they're so scared still that that an animal will die because they don't do their work properly properly or and I always tell them that probably won't happen. I think yeah. you'll do you'll do fine. Yeah. But they just need to hear that. Yeah, yeah. And, and they feel need to supportive. hear yeah. Yeah, that everything's going to be fine. Yeah. I can remember that when I graduated and I started working, I had a, a senior colleague. He just once said to me, he said, you know what? We all have been there and we all had to learn. Yeah. And I think that still resonates in my head. You know, it's it, everyone has been there. Yeah. Everyone knows how it is to be newly a new graduate or the youngest in the in the team or yeah i just find of young vets because we have so many young vets that join our practice and it's just like bad things are going to happen you know we can't have a absolute proof of great uh patient outcomes but at least when your vets come in and say yes this animal did poorly it died or you know whatever just to say you know what it happens and i'm going to have your back and let's use this as a learning opportunity and and it will be better next time yeah and look over their shoulder and and I always think this is absolutely my personal opinion and, and no scientific background whatsoever. But I also think that it's more important with these young vets to think about who you send them to rather to what they need to do. That's a great point. Yeah. Because you can send them out to vaccinate a horse with a very difficult owner that will make their life miserable. Or you could have them save a, a colleague with a a very nice understanding. Oh, that's makes such a difference. That's a really great point. Yeah. If you get out of your car and someone looks at you and think, oh, you're the youngest, then for sure you will have a vaccine reaction or <laughs> just think yes. about it. Think about yeah. where you send them instead of what you let them do. Yeah. You know what? That's a great point. And I think on that line, I, I want to wrap it up because I haven't thought about that before, but I think it's so true that the situation, the context of appointments is so important. Yeah. You know, help them gain confidence. Yeah. And they can stitch up the wound and they will save the colleague because they will do exactly what they were taught to do. So they will, they they will probably do it better than you will. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's been kind of interesting. I've been going out with some young vets lately and, and seeing how they work up cases after, you know, some time they've done an internship or what have you. And I make a point of telling the clients, they have done a better job than I would have. Yeah. There's their knowledge and what they're doing. I'm like, I look at them and I'm just, I am so impressed with how they're doing things. Yeah. Yeah. And clients will love you for it. Yeah. So hopefully the young vets, I make sure to say that in front of the young vets too, so they can get some confidence too. Yeah. And they love it when they get your confidence and you let them do things. If it goes right or it goes well, then it builds their self-esteem. And then you won't have to help them as much. Fascinating. 
Well, you know, no matter what side of the ocean we're on or, or where we're at it, I think there's so much commonalities in equine practice. And I think I really applaud the University at Utrecht there in terms of bringing up that, that practice preparation module. I think that's going to be a great idea. I look forward to hearing how it goes. Well, I will let you know. We will start in September. So we're very busy now uh, thinking about what exactly we're going to do with them. Yeah. Sure, for sure. That's great. Well, thank you very much. The research on the employee engagement, it's going to be published. When can people start looking for that? I think next year. Yeah, we just have now finishing up. Just in my meal books today, I have the redone statistics. And um, so hopefully early next year. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.